Alright, and we are back for another edition of Exploring Faith and Pursuing Grace. I am Lee Grant, this is Kevin Pendergrass, and we have not talked to each other face-to-face in a good long while, Kevin. We took a little break for the holidays, and we are back recording with one another for the first time in about a month. But none of you would know that if we didn't tell you, because we like to space out how our episodes are released. Kevin, I've missed you. Hey, I've missed you too, man. And... Uh, Our audience would miss us, but they can't because they haven't had the opportunity. That's right. That's right. You know what they say, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Maybe we should wait two weeks before we release this episode to the masses. Maybe And as many many girls in high school used to tell me, I can't miss you unless you leave me alone. So (laughs) this is what it is, you know. (laughs) Touche. Well, we'll think about it. I didn't have that many girlfriends in high school. I was a loser, man. Yeah, well, I mean, you did become a preacher, so I mean, what can you say, right? I, I didn't, I didn't know how, I didn't know how to think critically about oh. relationships. Oh, and that that dovetails into see and what segues like into. That. I see yeah. what you did there, you clever yeah. goose. Yeah, this evening we're going to be talking about critical thinking, which is something that we have talked about and and discussed in tangential ways on our show. We've talked about how critical thinking in a lot of ways, thinking critically about our positions, what we thought, the doctrinal positions we held, the opinions we had, the interpretations that we foisted upon the scriptures. We've talked about how critical thinking has helped us undo that. That's really what this podcast has been all about, has has been detailing your journey and my journey through that process in which critical thinking played a huge role. But this evening, we're going to be discussing critical thinking in a little bit of a different way. Um, one of the things that a good friend of mine who unfortunately passed away last year, he was a, he was an older man. He was in his sixties and he had developed COVID and from complications from that, he ended up passing on. He would preach. He was a congregational teacher. He would preach. And one of the things that he would say is that it's fine to be sincere. And there are a lot of people that are sincere, but you can be sincere and sincerely wrong. And that was a phrase that he liked to use all the time. And that's really what we're going to be discussing this evening is the difference between sincere thinking and critical thinking and why that delineation is important, why that matters. Because Kevin, if you're anything like me, and I know you are because we've talked about this a lot, whenever you were still entrenched in your legalistic way of thinking and the way that you approach the scriptures in the world, you were a very sincere thinker. I was a very sincere thinker. And what that means is, is we both sincerely believe that what we believed was the truth. I believe that if you use more than one cup, when you observe the Lord's supper, that you were putting your soul in jeopardy at the very least. And more than likely you were ending, you would end up like us, a struck dead on the side of the road, proverbially speaking. It, it, it was enough to, to possibly forfeit your soul. And I believe that in a very sincere way for a very long time. And it's only through the process of critical thinking and examining the scriptures that I began to unravel that big old ball of wire that made up that, that milieu that I operated in. Yeah. Since, you know, when we talk about sincerity, we're just talking about when someone believes something without any type of pretense or deceit that they genuinely are convinced that their conclusion is correct. And most people believe what they believe because they think it's the right thing to believe. I I mean, I know that sounds very simple and it almost sounds like a, well, duh, 
But I, when we enter into conversations with people, I don't think that we consider that enough, that we take yeah. that into consideration when we're having these conversations, that the person who believes what they believe believes believes it with just as much sincerity as what I believe. <laughs> and yeah. so just because, though, someone really believes something does not make it true. I mean, even biblically, when we get into some quote-unquote biblical examples, Paul, the apostle, everyone knows about Paul. He wrote about a third of the New Testament. I mean, he converted to Christianity, but before he was sincerely persecuting Christians because he thought it was the right thing to do. We see that in Acts chapters 26, verse 9. Uh, Yet he later found out that he was wrong. And even if you go back to some of the stories in the Old Testament, for example, in Genesis chapter 37 through 50, Jacob's sons lied to him about Joseph. They claimed that he was dead. and Of course, they knew he wasn't dead. They knew that they had sold him into slavery, but they wanted to convince that their father that, hey, he's dead. Joseph is dead. And so Jacob really believed it. Jacob sincerely believed Joseph was dead, but he later found out he wasn't. So just because someone believes something is true does not make it so. And that's why tonight we're going to talk about the difference between sincere thinking versus critical thinking and how to identify the difference, how to help ourselves become better critical thinkers, but also how to help ourselves have more sympathy, empathy, and also just understanding in our conversations when we're dealing with people. Because I used to tell people all the time, well, you're just ignorant if you don't agree with me, Uh, or even calling them stupid or whatever it might be, questioning their intelligence as a human because they don't agree with me. And, And so, you know, that's not profitable. That's not beneficial for discussion. When I hear someone attack the motives of someone they disagree with and say, well, you know what, they're just ignorant or they don't care or they have they have uh, ulterior motives for doing what they're doing. That's not beneficial when you're making those accusations. If I make those accusations against everyone who disagreed with me or vice versa, no bridges can ever be built. No conversations yeah. could ever be had. We couldn't have this podcast right now because we have guests on all the time that we don't necessarily agree with. Lee and I don't agree with each other on everything, but that doesn't mean that he's ignorant or that I'm ignorant. We are both sincerely convinced when it comes to our conclusions, and we do our best to think critically, but thinking critically is really an art, and there's a maturation to it, and it takes a long really a long period of time. And I mean, none of us are ever going to get to that point where we're always thinking critically every turn and that we're always coming to the right conclusion, no matter what, and that we finally figured it out. We're human. We understand that's never going to be a reality. But I do believe that we can help sharpen our critical thinking skills a little bit more, that if nothing else, it can make us better humans, that when we are talking to people who disagree, we can have a better understanding of where they're coming from. No, that's absolutely right. And one of the things I really appreciate about what you're saying in this introduction is that we need to recognize the sincerity that exists within the hearts and in the minds of those that we converse with, because just like you said, they are just as sincere as I am. Anyone that I talk about, talk with or converse with about any subject Whatever position they hold, they hold it with the same degree of sincerity that I do. Now, maybe they've put more thought into it than I have. Maybe I've put more thought into it than they have on this particular subject or that particular doctrine or whatever the case may be. But any any position that anyone has, they hold it sincerely. And this will get into one of the points that we'll make later on down the road. But 
it's 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 incredibly egotistical to call into question someone's motives for holding a certain position. I can remember a and I may have mentioned this on the podcast before. I honestly don't remember, but um, I can remember a prominent preacher within the one cup brotherhood who we would get to hold uh, gospel meetings for us on a fairly regular basis. Whenever I was still in the one cup group, we would have him come, we'd hold meetings, we'd hang out, we'd eat lunch together. We'd go visit people. We may even go door knocking. I mean, that's still kind of a thing, not really anymore, but still kind of a thing. Um, but we would go, we'd discuss things with people. We would have different conversations about different things and uh, different subjects, different topics, whatever else. And invariably, we would always talk about what other Christians, other denominations, other people believed about baptism or about women's roles in worship or about, you name it, instrumental music, the communion, whatever. And he would always make this point, well, a lot of people just don't know what the Bible says. And you you and I understand that now, you know, they, these people may not agree with the position we have, or maybe they don't understand why we believe what we believe about it or whatever else, but maybe they're just ignorant. But he would always talk about those digressives that use more than one loaf and one cup on the communion that don't do communion right. They know what the truth is, but they just don't care. They'll just lie to you. And even whenever I was still deeply entrenched within that legalistic thought pattern and and way of thinking and way of interpreting things, that statement it was always off-putting to me. It just, yeah. it just didn't resonate with me even whenever I was at my most hardcore because I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe they're ignorant of what the Bible says about, quote, the one cup. Or maybe they've heard it, but they're just not convinced about it. I mean, how do I know that they're like, well, nope, you one cuppers, you guys are right, but you know what? No, I don't care about that. I just want to do what I want to do. And it seems like that that's a mentality that a lot of people have in terms of, of engaging in differences with one another. In both sets of sincerity, there's a there can be a lack of critical thinking, and that's that's a big part of what we're going to talk about tonight. So what are some yeah. things that we can do? I know you've talked about this before, and you and I have discussed this before, but how can we make sure that we're thinking critically and we're not just thinking sincerely? Like, What's the delineation? Yeah, there? well, and the, and the problem is we all think we're critical thinkers. <laughs> and and you know it's it's I was having this conversation with someone not too long ago and uh, he said well I used to think I had an open mind and he said it's it's only when I finally got to the point that I probably don't have an open mind I felt somewhat open being you know I felt like I was finally being somewhat open minded when I acknowledged I probably wasn't open minded I'm like yeah that that got you got to think about that for a minute but that makes a lot of sense because yeah. everyone wants to think they have an open mind everyone wants to think that they're a critical thinker i before thought that i was a critical thinker because i was a sincere thinker and we typically use sincerity almost synonymously with thinking critically well if i'm being sincere then that must mean that i'm being critical with my thought process and when i used to preach all the time i would end especially if I was a guest speaker somewhere out in by saying, well, after tonight, if you want to come talk to me and have a Bible study, we'll have a Bible study. And if you can show me anywhere where anything that I'm saying is not biblical or that I'm wrong, then I'll be willing to change. And what I was doing is I was wanting to have a Bible study because I quote unquote knew I was right. 
And I was going to show someone who disagreed with me why they were wrong. It was always coming at it from the perspective that I was the teacher and they were going to be the student, even though it was, hey, I'll change if I can be shown that I'm wrong. Well, I didn't think I was wrong. And I didn't think I could be shown that I was wrong. Thus, I was expecting the other person to always change because, of course, in my mind, I could just show them a couple of Bible verses and prove my point, be right, they would change, and I would go on my way. So how do we correct that? How do we get away from that? And it begins, first of all, from everything that I've studied and looked into this. I've talked to psychologists. I've researched this. First of all, we have to acknowledge our own bias. So we all have to acknowledge we're more than likely not critical thinkers. <laughs> even, even once we know we're trying to think critically, we're still probably not the best critical thinkers, or at least not to the level that we think we are. We may be better than others or better than what we thought we were at thinking critically, uh, but we're never as usually good as we think we are. And so we have to acknowledge our own bias. And I've heard people claim that they're completely objective. You know, I'm a, I, I look at the Bible just completely objective. That's simply not, the, not true because complete objectivity would require infallibility, which, of course, no person can yeah. look at anything with complete objectivity. So we all bring our own bias, knowledge, experience, et cetera, to the table. And so the best we can do before we go further is admit we are biased and we are fallible humans that probably are not thinking as critically as we can, as we could be. Yeah, no, and that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, I'm reminded of what it says in Jeremiah about how the heart is, you know, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And of course, I would quote that scripture whenever I would preach to say, you see there, so you can't just have your own opinions about things. You need to take what the Bible says, and that needs to be your 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 guiding force within life. And of course, what I meant by that is you need to take my interpretation of what the Bible says <laughs> and let that be the driving force within your own life. Yeah, it, it, Because in that place in my life, I didn't think I was thinking subjectively. I'm taking the scriptures, I'm picking them up, I'm reading them, I'm looking at what the Bible says, and I'm just doing it. And yeah. the interesting thing, though, is, and this is something that we've talked about just at length over and over and over again from multiple different directions, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't just taking what the Bible said and operating within those within those confines. And nobody created, does. And nobody does. Exactly. Yeah. I had created my own construct. I had created my own or had rather maybe I should say I had adopted my own perspective by saying, well, the Bible doesn't authorize instrumental music because of X, Y, Z. You know, we did a series on instrumental music last year. And, you know, the Bible doesn't authorize more than one cup. We did, you know, we did an episode on that. So if you're interested in those things, you can go back and listen to those episodes. But here I am thinking I'm being as objective as I possibly can. But all I'm doing is parroting the talking points that I had heard before. I'm repeating what I had been told and I believed it sincerely. But that was masquerading as objectivity. I, yeah. in, in fact, I was incredibly subjective. I was entrenched within subjectivity and. I didn't realize it at that time because I was so sincere and acknowledging my bias. That's what really started the process on being able to think in a better way and to love more like Jesus. And one quick way you can look at your own bias or at least kind of run a quick 
you know, we run speed tests sometimes and we're trying to look at how fast our computers are uploading and downloading. We can almost run a, a test on our own brains and minds by by seeing how biased we really are. And one way you can do this is by asking yourself, how much have I changed in my life? Have my beliefs changed? If so, how have they changed? And for for at least for me, I can only speak for me and I can speak for other people I've spoken to about this, but they, if they grew up in a particular religious belief in the churches of Christ, and that's what they were taught from their parents, and their parents took them to church, and they they conditioned the beliefs this particular set of doctrines, and that's what their church taught, and their preacher taught, and that's what they believe, and now that's what they teach their children. I, I've asked myself at one point, okay, what do I believe now that I really didn't always believe? Yeah. <laughs> and I realized that I really had never learned much of anything as far as changing my mind. I had learned ways to solidify, and I'm putting solidification in question marks here, but ways to solidify my beliefs are to, te- to, to basically proof text my beliefs into the Bible because th- those had always been my beliefs. So, of course, they're right because that's what I had always believed. But there was really not a whole lot that I changed on. And so when someone says, oh, I'm not biased, I'm open-minded, my first question is, tell me some major things you used to believe that now you don't believe anymore and and why you changed your mind. And if there's really nothing major, if if you still believe the same things that you believed as a child and there's nothing different at all, then that in of itself should be a red flag that maybe I'm not thinking for myself then. Maybe I am just accepting what I have been taught as truth, and I'm not allowing myself at all to be challenged. I'm not acknowledging my own bias here because I've never had a reason to. I've just accepted what I've been taught as truth, and I've found ways to make that look like truth because that's what I'm constantly consuming. And that's just a quick way is, is think about all the things you currently believe and ask yourself, are these things you've always believed? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean just because you were taught something as a child, it's not true. <laughs> you know, that there's, there's many things that I was taught, Lee, you were taught as a child that today we still believe and that they're true. Just because we still believe something that we believed as a child doesn't mean that we're not critical thinkers. But when it comes to surveying all of my beliefs and the way that I look at the whole world, and if really not much has changed, then you have to ask yourself, are you really thinking? Am I really thinking critically about my life, about my beliefs? And so that that's one thing um, that we can do. A second thing, practice, if you will, that will help us to think critically is to be willing to embrace humility. And the Greek word for humility in James 4.10 actually carries the idea of emptying one's ego. And the biblical admonition to not think too highly of your opinion that Paul talks about when he's writing to the church in Rome in Romans 12, 3, can be difficult to follow, but it has to be something that we're striving toward every day. And Lee, I want to ask you this. Do you think one of the reasons why, especially as former legalists, when we were caught up in legalism, it was so hard to embrace humility is because we felt like our salvation depended upon us already having the right answers. 100%, brother. 
Absolutely. Our, our perspective, and I say ours, I know I can speak for myself and I, and you and I have talked about this so much in so many other avenues in this podcast that I'm fairly confident I can speak for you too. Our entire perspective on salvation was predicated upon having the right knowledge on understanding the right concepts and the right precepts in the right way. And whenever you are so entrenched within certainty, it's really hard to be humble. It's really hard to consider the fact, well, maybe I could be wrong about this. And I'm going to go ahead and borrow from jujitsu a little bit. That's one of the things I love about jujitsu is we we have a saying in jujitsu, the mat doesn't lie. And you can say that you are a black belt from the best lineage from, from anywhere ever, and that you can whip everybody. And if you go out on that mat, the mat's not going to lie. And a lot of times people who think they're better than what they are. And I've been that guy before, trust me, plenty of times will step out on that mat and they end up getting their butts handed to them on a plate. They end up getting choked really, really quickly or get caught up in a heel hook or an arm bar. They, they give up a position they shouldn't give up. And that can really kill your ego in a hurry. But whenever you think, you know, everything and you have all the answers and you don't have a proving ground like the jujitsu mat, it's really easy to get full of yourself and to consider that, well, no one else has this figured out quite like I do. And the only people that I'm going to listen to are those people that are maybe more aged than I am. They're more learned than I am. They know a little more than I do, but the only reason why they know more than I do is because they've been able to articulate these talking points over a longer period of time than I have. They're more entrenched in it and they're more eloquent with how they communicate it. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was the approach that I took for a long time. And that's a perspective that I had for a long time is I know X, Y, or Z, X, Y, and Z are true. And so I'm only going to have conversations with these people or this set of people in, in a real conversation, a real, you know, vulnerable conversation where we're going to be open and we're going to be raw. I'm only going to have these conversations with these people because they are pretty much just going to affirm what I already know. It's an exercise and it was an exercise in confirmation bias is what it was. And whenever we first started this podcast and I had people that I, that I knew and that I loved and that I still love dearly within the one cup community that were coming to me with their concerns. And one of the statements that was made over and over and over again is, well, if you need to, if you have these questions, you can ask them, but you don't need to be asking, you know, that Pendergrass or these other people out there reading books after these people, you need to be talking to faithful gospel preachers. In other words, you need to be talking to the people that already affirm everything that our particular group holds to be true. You need to talk to those people because we have all the answers. And (laughs) if anything, any question can be asked that our perspective cannot answer, well, that's a scary thing. And we just need to throw that question away. That's really the subtext. And that doesn't really come from a humble place. It's, it's, it's not a, a humble position to have to, to say, you know what? I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out, but when your entire salvation, your entire spiritual worldview is predicated on certainty, you, if embracing humility could be a death sentence for your soul. 
Yeah, it's it's not very hard to be sincere in your thinking because, as we pointed out earlier at the beginning, just about everyone believes what they believe because they think it's the right thing. But it can be a very difficult experience to think critically because now you're asking yourself to come out of yourself mentally and to be willing to admit you could be wrong. And that is a very, very difficult thing because our identities are usually wrapped up, obviously, in our beliefs and our convictions. So once I start questioning my convictions and my beliefs, now I'm really questioning who I am. And Lee, you and I both have discussed this. We really lost our identities for a while. And especially me being the preacher, that was my livelihood. That's all I had ever done. I was a preacher since I was 17 years old, working for different churches. And now I had changed all my beliefs as far as the conservative mainstream churches of Christ was concerned. And so because of that, I started wondering, well, who am I now? And, and, and that can be, that's scary. It's hard. And I was not a humble person prior to my change. In fact, I'm still someone who has to, to wrestle with my own pride because I like being right. Yeah. <laughs> and hum- humility calls us to be willing to be wrong. And if I really believe that my salvation is predicated on me already having all the answers, then if I have to admit I'm wrong, I'm basically admitting, yeah, I'm lost or I could be lost if I had that paradigm, if I had that framework. Well, when you get rid of that framework of thinking that being saved means you have every single answer figured out, it is a lot easier to be humble. I didn't say it's necessarily easy, but it is easier to be humble because now I'm willing to, to listen to what other people have to say, which brings us to our third point. And that is, if we're going to think critically or try to develop critical thinking skills, we need to be fair in our research by examining different sides. And this is something that I didn't do very often. Or when I would examine different sides, I would only do so with the intent of trying to prove them wrong, not actually being educated. And we've had people email us, even call us and say, why are you having these different, some of these different guests on your program. You know, we, we had some people who couldn't believe we had a we had a Muslim on our program. Why would you even give a voice to a Muslim? And and I said, if that's the kind of question that you're asking, you need to go back and listen to that episode about 10 more times because you're, you're the one who needs this more than anybody. You know, it's it's like the person who says, I don't have time to rest. Well, if you don't have time to rest, you're the one who needs to rest more than anybody else. And if you don't have time to listen to what other people have to say, you're probably the one who needs to hear what other people have to say more than more than most. And the reason why we like to have people on our podcast who we don't always agree with is so we can learn. I want to better understand where they're coming from. It doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to change. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily right. But I also have to realize that I could be the one in the wrong too, and that the person sitting across the table from me, they have just as much honesty, just as much sincerity, sometimes maybe if not more so, and they may be more studied in their particular belief system. Um, I was talking to another friend of mine, actually listening to the podcast. I, I call him a friend now, but we just met about a week ago over the phone he had sent an email and uh, we ended up talking over the phone but we were talk we were just discussing how there's no way we as humans can study 
all the different belief systems in the world the way that they need to be studied. Like we can't do that. We don't have enough time to do that. And we were actually talking about Islam and he said, yeah, he said, you know, we always jump on, 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 you know, those who are of the Islamic faith and that if they just were seeking, if they were just willing to read the Bible, then they would become Christians. But guess what? They're doing the same thing. They're saying the same thing about Christians. You know, well, if they were really seeking Allah, if they would just read the Quran, then they would become Muslims and, and, and they would they would convert if they could just have this information. And I asked him, I said, yeah, I said, you know, I wonder how many Christians have actually sat down and read the Quran from, from front to cover, much less done any type of in-depth study or di- deep dive into the book. I said, I said, probably hardly any Christians. And I said, it's it's the same idea that we want to jump down everyone else's throats as Christians for not studying the Bible as a holy book, yet we're not willing to study any other book as a holy book because we've well, already dude, got our minds made up. <laughs> very few Christians are even willing to sit down and study the Bible in depth either, though. I mean, yeah. that's... I mean, it's. It, I mean, how many Christians have sat down and read the Quran through from the beginning to the end? How many Christians have sat down and read the Bible through from beginning to end? You know, I've I've read the Bible for a long time. I've studied the Bible for a long time. I probably haven't studied it as in depth as what you have or what some of our guests have. But dude, I have never once. You know, you have these read the Bible through in a year programs. I have never once read the Bible through. Never have. <laughs> I mean, so you're yeah. saying that and it's like, well, here I am hosting a podcast where we talk about this. How many Christians have done this and thought about this? It's like, bro, how many are even doing that with the Bible though? I mean, that's a, that's absolutely yeah. a true point. Well, and, and not just the Bible, but beliefs, because it's one thing to actually read a statement. It's another to study different perspectives of that statement. And so um, with, with my new book coming out, it is coming out. I promise it is coming out sometime. Sometime it is coming out. <laughs> I'm going to say this year, I'm highly confident it's going to be this year. Uh, but one of the points I make is that there are over 45, well, I don't make this point, I observe this. There's over 45,000 denominations that claim Christian in the world. 45,000. Now, if you break that down and you think about how many different churches and beliefs that that actually amounts to now, you know, because I mean, you have, you have not just the 45,000 number, but then you start breaking down the beliefs within each of those churches and the differences among each of those 45,000 beliefs. And it's numerous. I mean, it's almost too many to even begin to, to speculate. Okay. How many beliefs does this actually entail? Once you start breaking down the differences between every single denomination, but it, it would take you well over 875 years if you were to just visit each new denomination once a week. It would, it would take, it would, I mean, you'd have to live to be the age of Methuselah just to, just to attend each of these churches, much less study their doctrines in depth. And so when, when, whenever someone says, well, you've got to know everything there is to know about everything, and the, way, the reason why I know I'm right is because I've studied everything, that like that is such an, an arrogant and ignorant statement. It's such a naive belief to think that we are so smart that we've been able to study everything and every perspective, and that's how we know we're right. And with a belief like that, we don't even really have time for faith. We don't even have a need for faith because we've got, quote unquote, certainty on our side. But 
we have to be fair in our research by examining different sides and realizing we're not even going to be able to get to all the different sides. You know, I, I'm a Christian in large part because I was born in America and I was raised by a Christian family and I went to church. And by and large, that's why I'm a Christian today. Now, I could I could beat my chest and go, no, I'm a Christian because I, I chose this way. And that yeah, I think there was some choice in it, no doubt. I'm not a I'm not a, a a Calvinist who believes in predestination that I had no choice in the matter. I believe yes, ultimately this is my choice, but it, it, it's somewhat of a I don't want to say coerced choice, but it certainly was a limited choice. Because had yeah. I been living somewhere else, had I been living, you know, what if I grew up in in Tokyo? I'm sure that what my convictions and understanding of the universe and worldview would be if I would have grown up there as opposed to in America, would be very, 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 very different. And and by the way, not just belief systems, but even Christians who grew up in a different country, their version of Christianity, their understanding of how to live a Christian life, vastly different than ours over here in America. And even within America, there's a lot of differences based upon your culture, based upon your upbringing, how you understand Christianity. That's why we have to be fair when we're researching, when we're studying. My mentor, God bless him, I love the man. And if it wasn't for him, I would have probably never had the zeal that I have today for God and religious topics and spirituality. But he would just go online to a website that he predominantly agreed with when he was working on sermons, print out an article and barely read the article. He would just basically use that article someone else had done, and that would be his sermon. And there was, for him, he thought, well, I've got three or four verses, so I have surveyed this topic. And to him, anyone who disagreed, well, they were wrong because he had his three or four verses that proved them wrong. But he didn't realize other people have three or four verses that think, that they can prove him wrong. (laughs) And so it's, it's, I don't know, there's this huge problem in our modern society because it's so easy to research at a surface level without going deeper or considering the other side Um, or not just the other side, because that's, that's, that's a binary belief, which is also very much a a post enlightenment idea. It's either this or that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of sides when we're talking about topics, not just two, But surface-level argumentation uh, can also, though, provide us with a false sense of education on a topic when we really do not know what we're talking about. Lee, sometimes I wish I had a little more of the confidence I had 10 years ago when I was going around telling guys in their 70s, you know, how ignorant they were and I was going to set them straight. (laughs) I wasn't lacking confidence. (laughs) Yeah. Now, sometimes I think I may be... uh, have overcorrected a little because I question probably a little too much sometimes, you know, where I'm like, well, I don't, I don't really know. But, you know, I, I, I look back then and I'm like, what an arrogant little boy I was uh, <laughs> thinking that I had all of these answers. And, but the reason is because of the way I was trained. I had surface level knowledge. And yeah. if you have surface level knowledge with a lot of, of arrogance, not just confidence, arrogance, uh, you, you're going to feel like you 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 have the answers to everything, and that's why it's so scary today. Because people will just do a quick little you know, Google search on something, and they, they're going to think they know everything there is to know. I mean, that's why today everyone thinks they're a Bible scholar. 
Everyone thinks they're a dentist. Everyone thinks that they're uh, a doctor. Everyone thinks that you know they're they're an expert at whatever field because they spent five minutes online reading about it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the Dunning Kruger effect. Is what it is, and I, th- I think we've talked about it on this before. I know I've mentioned it in times past, and we mentioned it in conversation with each other. But the Dunning Kruger effect is is basically when you get a little bit of information or a little bit of training or a little bit of education and you think that you've got it all the answers now. You've got it all figured out. You know, you take one physics class and you're the next Einstein all of a sudden. Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. You, you're with the Dunning Kruger effect, you are fully entrenched and enmeshed within the realm of of conscious. Uh, no, it's not conscious competence. What is it? It is unconscious incompetence. That is, you've learned just enough that you think you know way more than you do, but you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And it's that, really that describes easy. every single preacher training student. <laughs> is like is like that they and i throw myself into this okay but seriously man when you're describing this i can't help but think you know we would take like one class i remember like after we all took our first class in uh in biblical languages in hebrew and we were like oh yeah did you know you read hebrew left to right instead of right to left or right to left or what yeah opposite side of yeah how you normally read and and you know we were just like oh yeah you know we were trying to show off uh, talking about how smart we were with hebrew and then we were studying greek we were oh yeah you know i'm thinking about doing my own translation of the gospel of matthew you know and it's like well we've taken this one class and yet now we think that we just, we own it. We, 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 we know everything there is to know. And in large part, I blame sometimes the trainers because it's this idea that, okay, you've gone through every verse of the Bible. Well, going through every verse of the Bible really doesn't mean jack squat, quite frankly. I, I mean, I, I, I can tell you that from my own experience. And so when you're saying that, you know, I, and I'm joking. I, of course, am, am, am saying this a little bit in sarcasm, but there is a cheek, yeah. lot of truthfulness to what you're saying. What I, what the the correlation there uh, because of that. No, absolutely, and it's hard to be fair. It's hard to be fair when you're examining those different sides. Yeah, it's really, really difficult because it in immediately that bias will preload the way you look at things and it will condition the way you look at things to where if, especially let's say if you're studying to give a, you know, you mentioned Calvinism or let's say you're studying to give a lesson on Calvinism. Well, you may just look at a surface level five point approach to Calvinism and, and then you caricaturize that, you know, approach to Calvinism or your perspective on it is a caricature of what Calvinism actually is. And then you get up and present that in the pulpit as though it is truth. And then what does that do? It perpetuates the cycle. Everyone else in the audience is now, well, this is Calvinism. You know, Calvinists believe that if you die as a baby, you're going straight to hell. And it's like, well, you know, Calvinists actually don't believe that. You know, if you, if you take a longer look at what John Calvin actually taught and what a lot of prominent experts in that particular theology believe, they don't believe that, 
But that's how you're going to take total hereditary depravity and turn it on its head because you think you know more about it than what you do. And our yeah. biases are what color that. So really in order to engage in step three, to be fair in your research by examining various sides of whatever position it is, you have to acknowledge your own bias. You have to, or you're not going to be able to be fair when you examine different sides of whatever it is you're studying. Well, I think it, it you have to almost get to the point especially if you're trying to engage a topic, you have to get to the point of saying, I understand why and how someone could reach this conclusion. Yeah. Because if, you, if you're not to that point, then I dare say you haven't really comprehended it yet. Because if you still think that all people who disagree with you are either ignorant or evil, then that that's a good indication that you're not really being fair to the content because you brought up Calvinism. Well, you and I, neither one of us are are uh, are, are Calvinists. In fact, I think Calvinism is a extremely dangerous doctrine. Um, in fact, I put it on the same level as I as I do legalism. In fact, I think that they can almost compete for one another with being very dangerous in how they manifest themselves. Now, what I did not say is that people who are caught up in legalism or Calvinist are going to hell. Um, what I did not say is that people who are caught up in legalism and Calvinism are ignorant or stupid or dumb. I simply disagree because of the conclusions that it leads to. It does not make sense in my mind. That said, I can understand people who go to the Bible who were conditioned to believe that God predestined and chose a handful of people to be saved and the rest to be lost, and that's the God you serve, and that's God, and you don't question that. And if you were taught that from birth, and you were handed Ephesians 1, <laughs> and says, well, here, Ephesians 1, this is what the whole chapter's about, and you're reading it through that lens, Calvinism and predestination makes perfect sense. And yeah. I, actually, a friend of mine is, is Calvinist, and, you know, we always joke about it because I said, look, you go to the Bible and you see all the verses that I believe clearly teach, and I'm using this word clearly to be funny, but clearly teach <laughs> um, that we have individual choice. And, and you look at all those verses, you know they're there, and you look at all yeah. those verses and say, well, that, that can't mean that. Because the Bible says that God chooses who's going to be saved. And I said, and on the flip side, I look at all the verses that clearly teach God chooses who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost. And I filter those through the verses that teach we all have a choice and say, well, it can't mean that because these verses say we have a choice. I said, so what ends up happening is it's a difference of conviction. It's a difference of understanding how those verses play out, not a difference of one person not caring versus the other one caring, or not a difference of one person being ignorant, another not. We both know those verses are there. We can verse swap all day long. The difference is our, our experiences, our conditioning, our, our understanding, our, our all sorts of different things play, go, in, go into how we make our decisions on why we believe what we do. But neither one of us doubts the other's sincerity or knowledge, or anything of that nature. We simply are looking at the Bible in a very different way. We interpret Scripture very differently from one another. When we can acknowledge that, we can still be friends, and we can have good conversations, but we can also respect our own convictions and live the way that we think we should live. 
Oh, absolutely. And th- that issue with thinking that, well, you're only a Calvinist because you're ignorant and you don't have two brain cells to rub together or you're evil or you just you've decided that that's a lie you want to believe. Whenever we cast aspersions on other people, we're not thinking the best in them. We're not looking at them through the lens of Christlike love with a love that believes all things that gives the benefit of the doubt. And that's that's not a Christ-like position to hold either, to read into someone's intentions. Now, I mean, that's not to say that there aren't people out there that are shysters, that are evil, that do want to fleece the masses and you know do what they can to get ahead at the expense of others. I mean, their their fruit will bear that out. But by and large, it's it's so easy to overlook the sincerity that other people have. And to just castigate them as being evil. It's so much easier. It's so much more convenient to do that because if you think, well, why do they think this? Maybe they believe this in all sincerity. This is why they do. And I can begin to understand why they do. Well, then the danger is, is that your certainties eroded and that you may change your mind and then you're going to believe the lie. And then whenever that happens, well, well, what is that? It's a domino effect. And now your salvation's gone because your salvation was never based on Jesus in the first place. It was based on the degree of certainty you had in a certain position. And, and whenever you're fair minded, and you consider that source and you get to the point where you say, well, even though I disagree with what you're saying, I can understand why you believe that that right there in and of itself is a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think admitting that is powerful to your own mind to say, OK, because what you're really doing, you're not afraid anymore either. You're not you're not threatened by someone disagreeing with you because you're able to consider it. And. I, uh, I, I dated a girl who actually went to a preaching school, not to be a preacher, but to, uh, because this was in the conservative churches of Christ, but who just went to, to go and get the knowledge. And we dated for a while. And, uh, I remember she did not want to ever expose herself to any information other than what she already believed. And at yeah. that time I was the same way. But, I mean, she was adamant about, oh, I can't read that because it's not approved material. I can only read approved material. And I'm like, yeah, but we've got to be willing to expose ourselves to different ideas. We have to be willing to consider alternatives and learn. And we were even approaching it from the perspective of, well, let's just learn what everyone's doing wrong so we can figure out how to go about combating it. We weren't even really trying to educate ourselves uh, to learn more. We were just trying to figure out how to refute it. And even then there was this hesitancy of doing that because, well, what if, what if I I run up against something I can't answer? That's Satan attacking me. And, oh, I don't need to do that. And, you know, Satan is oftentimes an excuse for, for a lot of things in life. You know, when, when we don't act, when we're, when someone is challenged, a friend of mine, actually Brandon Johnson, when he started changing his family said, well, this is Satan attacking you. And, and people go right after those types of things because it's something that, that they don't know. It's something that they're unaware of. And this goes back to that certainty and control because when you, when you bring new knowledge, you're now, you're now taking away that certainty because, wait a minute, this is something I've never seen before. This is something I've never heard. But if I can, if I can limit my exposure to different information and I can constantly reinforce my beliefs with information that already affirms what I believe— then that brings me a sense of comfort 
and confidence and certainty, even if it's fake, I feel good. And that's where it's so ironic because, Lee, just like you, man, I was taught you got to study the dog out of the scripture. I mean, you've got you have got to study the word of God. Don't listen to what mankind has to say. Don't listen to what your preacher has to say. Don't listen to what the world has to say. Don't listen to what your wife has to say, your mom has to say. Don't listen to any of these things. Just follow the Bible. And when you do that, it's the very people who taught you to do that who get upset because what they mean is follow my understanding of the Bible as you've already brought up. But it's just that exposure. It's that exposure to different ideas and being willing to listen to what people have to say. When I hear people say, oh, don't go to school, don't go to the universities because they may learn something we don't agree with. It's like, well, yeah, you, you need to learn things that you don't agree with. <laughs> that's yeah. education. Well, and that's the thing, like in jujitsu, if you have an idea for a technique or a pass or a choke or whatever else, in theory, on a non-resisting opponent, it may work out just fine and you can choke the snot out of somebody with it. But whenever you're in a live role and you're fighting for your life and you try to go for it, it just doesn't work. That's the proving ground. Yeah, And if the technique is a strong technique, if it's a good technique, well, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's going to work almost every time. If it's not a good technique, well, it ain't going to work in that scenario. But I, I think the resistance that comes to the resistance that people have against exploring new things and engaging with new information is because deep down inside, there's this question, there's this fear fear that undergirds that certainty. It's like, well, I am extremely certain about this concept or this topic or this doctrine, but what if I'm wrong? What does that mean? And when your salvation, like we talked about throughout this podcast, if you're, when you're, your salvation is predicated on certainty, the thought that you could be wrong will damn you to hell forever. Yeah. And if I'm, if I'm wrong about this, well, what if I'm wrong? No, ignorance is bliss. I'm not even going to engage with that because what if, what if I am wrong? Or what if that information is right? And then everyone else that I know is wrong. Or what if I begin to read that and I'm convinced by that, but what I already believe is right, but then that's wrong, but it convinces me. Well, now I'm believing the wrong thing. And then what about this? It's, it's, it, it, it's a ridiculous place to be, but I think a lot of what drives that resistance is either fear yeah, or fear. it's arrogance in and of itself. Well, and, f you know, fear, ignorance, all of these things go hand in hand because I know growing up, I mean, I was terrified of being wrong and I thought I had to have all the answers. And so one of the reasons why I was so adamant, I was so aggressive, it's because in large part, I was actually trying to convince myself <laughs> deep yeah. down, you know, I mean, it was like, I believe these things, but I wanted to. I wanted to prove it to the world that I was right. I mean, that's why I wanted to always do these public debates. Like I wanted to, to, to almost have a sense of validation that yes, I am right on everything I believe and I can prove it. And I used to even say, these are airtight arguments. I mean, these are bulletproof and because that's what I felt like I had to have. But you know, we, we've really talked a lot about this point of just being fair in your research, examining other sides, exposing yourself to different ideas. And then finally, the last point that I want to bring up is consider your sources before plowing ahead. And, you know, in an age where everyone seems to have a megaphone through social media, we have to consider our sources and check references for claims that are being made. 
information that's being spewed out there to make sure it's valid and there's good evidence for it. Uh, we had uh, Chris Rosser come on to talk about media illiteracy and how that's just becoming a growing epidemic, really. Like when, I, when I'm researching a topic, now I try to make sure that I'm studying peer-reviewed credible sources and field-specific experts, or at least people who are referencing peer-reviewed credible sources and field-specific experts. And someone says, yeah, but you can always find uh, a field-specific expert or uh, a credible peer-reviewed source or scholar who agrees with you. That's true. There's no doubt that you can always find someone out there who probably has some credentials and some, some letters after their name that you can get to side with you. But when I'm actually trying to do my research, I want to, I'm, I'm trying to, first of all, think for myself. I really am. I'm, I'm trying to make sure, okay, I want to do the research to make sure this is my conviction and not just what someone told me to believe, but also if there are, if, if the, let's, let's talk about archaeology for a moment. If all of archaeology and all the archaeologists, except for a, maybe a handful, have come to a conclusion about something, and then the handful disagree, but the reason they disagree is because they realize how it affects their conclusion about a position that they think they have to hold, that already shows me I'm probably going to go with what the majority of scholarship among archaeologists believe, not these few who are simply just trying to make a case so that they can justify their conclusions versus all of these others who are simply just looking at the evidence and they're not really having a specific dog in the fight. They're not really trying to justify a foregone conclusion. And when, when we do that, I think it really changes things. And so just being able to consider your sources before plowing ahead and, you know, people all the time say, well, how, how did, you know, how, how do we know? How do we know if it's a peer reviewed? Well, you, for usually it states it is, but second of all, how, how many people are on board with with this particular piece of information or book? I mean, are there other people who have read through this? Is there someone who has high credentials who is uh, who who's recommending this book? Or is this just something written by somebody named Dr. Pepper who says, well, because I've got doctor in front of my name, you need to listen to what I have to say. And so <laughs> I, I, I think that we have to really learn, and we're not going to do a whole other episode on media uh, literacy versus media illiteracy, but I would recommend you go back to that because we talk about how we can start to look at our different sources and how we can know if what we're researching is valid. And and uh, But I love the way that Rosser put it because he said flattening the expert voice is what's taking place right now. People are flattened. It's not that the expert voice doesn't exist, but it's been flattened because so many people also have a voice that the expert voice oftentimes gets gets lost. And so I try to look at, okay, what is what is the general consensus among scholarship? If there's not if there's not a general consensus, which typically there is, typically there is. Uh, but if there's not, I say, okay, well, I, I want to now look at why people believe what they believe and what's their reason behind it. What's their evidence? What, what are their sources for believing what they believe? Be willing to challenge these things. Ask yourself questions. Don't feel like you have to just give up your critical thinking skills and go, oh, I just can't do this. If this is something you want to pursue, if it's a topic you really want to engage in, make sure that you're willing to do the work it takes to engage in it. 
Well, and on that note, I also want to say this. First of all, that episode we did with Chris Rosser is it's straight fire. That is an excellent episode. And statistically, it hasn't been one of our more popular ones. And folks, I'm telling you, the second hour, because that one that one went on for a while. The second hour of that podcast is solid gold. So if you haven't listened to that, you need to listen to that episode. It was fantastic. It was really, really good. But on on this particular note, talking about considering your sources, one thing that I would be remiss if I didn't mention is those that hold a minority view, don't just write them off either. Look at right, what they yeah. have to say. Look at why they're saying what they have to say. Because Galileo and Copernicus had a minority view whenever they said that the you know Earth revolved around the sun <laughs> rather yeah, than yeah. the sun around the Earth. So you know you want to take a look at what the minority view is saying because sometimes yeah, good point. Majority is not always right. Not always right. But one of the things, but, but we're not saying that that's the case. It's like, oh, well, this minority view over here, well, I'm just going to write that off. No, examine it, look at it, engage with it, see what they have to say, see why they're saying what they're saying. But in general terms, just what you said, I want to say a hearty amen to it. Look at what the general consensus is. Look at the consensus, and even if you want to go a little bit deeper, you can start chasing a rabbit hole if you really want to, and look at who these experts cite as their sources. Start yeah, going down that yeah. bunny trail. Who It's one of the things Patrick Mee talked about whenever he was on just a few weeks ago, whenever he talked about his paradigm shift he experienced whenever it came to, to dancing and lasciviousness. Whenever he was in his father's study and he was looking at what one person said and he looked at the source that they quoted, he he went down that rabbit hole and found that source and he found who they quoted. And then he found out that that third quote was quoting the first person. So yeah. they were all just yeah. quoting each other. You can look at who's quoting who. You can look at who's, you know, who's saying what, who's citing who. And you can and a lot of times if you do that, you can find okay, here's the, here's the original source. Here's how all of this information came to be. And you can even see the evolution of a thought pattern or a doctrinal position or whatever else by chasing that rabbit trail. You can yeah. also sometimes expose where people have fallen short, where there is that, you know, scholastically incestuous relationship going on where everybody's just citing everybody else. And there is no original source. And sometimes you can find conflicts of interest as well that yeah. can blow holes in things. Well, but it, but in general terms, what you're saying, though, I don't want to take away from, from this at all, but generally speaking, if there is a scholarly consensus, in very general terms, there's probably going to be disagreement on some of the deeper, more detailed or technical nuances within it. But in general, there's a consensus for a reason. Yeah, and, and what's you, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because, um, you know, I I think of of many different topics. I mean, uh, slavery, nineteenth century slavery, um, also was uh, was very wrong, <laughs> but yeah. but a lot of Christians believed it was right. And so I'm I'm glad you brought that point up because the majority doesn't always make right. Um, yeah. it, it sometimes normalizes something, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing. And even though the majority of the world still during Galileo's time believed in a geocentric model of the universe, um, he, he, they were wrong. And, and, and of course, I would dare say even at that point, the church wasn't actually listening to the scholars, <laughs> unfortunately, at that time, and those who were yeah. true uh, scientists. And, and, and that's another problem. 
that I think we've seen throughout the years is that when Christians fail to look outside the Bible and outside their own resources, when they start to look into non-Christian resources, we have to be willing to do that. Um, and it's not, you know, if I say, okay, well, I'm going to study what non-Christians think about the Bible by a book written by a Christian. That, that is going to be so slanted. That's going to be so biased. I mean, if, if like, like seriously, I, I'm, I'm finishing up this book, and if somebody were to say, don't read Kevin's book, it's complete garbage, and I've, I've actually written a book on why it's com- complete garbage, read my book instead. How fair do you think that book is going to be to what I actually said? <laughs> not very fair. Probably not. And, and that's the kind of stuff that media, news channels, and I'm talking about on both sides. I don't care if it's Fox, if it's CNN. I, I, don't, I don't care what news you listen to or what side of the aisle politically you're on. It happens everywhere. It's the same thing. Both sides are trying to discredit the other and they're trying to convince you that they're horrible people who don't care and they're out to get you, they're out to attack you, and all these other things. And we've unfortunately mimicked that in Christianity in a lot of ways. In fact, I dare say we Christians have kind of always done that. Even when you go back to the church fathers, they were marking each other as heretics. Why? Well, don't talk to that guy. He's a heretic. And we scare people. We call people false teachers or, or false information. And don't listen to that. Don't listen to what people have to say. Um, they're a heretic. I mean, I can't tell you how many people uh, have have called me a false teacher when I first started changing. And I said, look, that, I understand someone disagrees with what I'm saying. But instead of saying I'm a false teacher, can you simply just say you disagree with me? Because I could just as easily say, well, you're the false teacher, but I don't think that's going to get us anywhere. Um, yeah. I just think, you know, I, I think you're mis- misunderstanding some things. You think I'm misunderstanding some things. But instead of each other calling you know, one another false teachers and that all we're doing is just spewing false doctrine, that's not really helping anybody. That's not helping any. That's just an alarmist approach to try to scare people so that they actually won't read the material or the information. And I do have a funny story real quick. Um, when I was in, well, actually, after I had got graduated uh, preaching school a few years later, because um, this is when I had already changed, I graduated in 2008. And someone who was currently a student there said they were taking some of my material now that I was changing. And they were explaining why I was now wrong. And they were telling people, don't look at Kevin's new material or listen or read his new articles and lessons. Only listen to his old debates and his old sermons because that's when he was teaching the truth. And there was this censorship going on of information. And, you know, we, we just have to be careful making sure that we're not just living in a vacuum and that we're willing to consider different ideas and not just consider them, but honestly consider them and do it in a respectful way. The irony is, is the best way to get somebody to listen to something you don't want them to listen to is tell them not to listen to it. Yeah. So I'm sure yeah. you probably saw your hit level start going up a little bit. Well, I did. People started contacting me like, well, what are you teaching? You know, <laughs> I'm like, why are all these people contacting me now? They're like, well, preaching school, they're, they're telling us not to look at your material. Oh yeah. Well, that's what happened to Dallas Burdett and his 
website whenever he started to to write and put some things out there and his articles and his books, which he didn't have a website at the time. But whenever he started making his material more publicly available, there were different churches that would go along with it. And people would say, you know, he, he started noticing it was funny after you know, an announcement of whatever brotherhood thing within the one cup group saying, Oh, don't look at Dallas's stuff. Don't do this. He would see an uptick in sales and those materials and in those books. But, (laughs) but no, it comes comes down to, they're not, there's, there's there. It it still comes down to control, right? This is the idea that I don't have enough faith in you to come to your own conclusion. So I've got to tell you how to think. And, and you know, I'm at the point now I tell people all the time, it really, truly, I can say this, in all sincerity and and honesty that it doesn't bother me if people come to a different conclusion than I do. Now, it does bother me if someone is going to act rude. It, it bothers me if someone attacks my motive. It bothers me when people make up things that I don't even believe or completely misrepresent me. Yes, that bothers the absolute stew out of me when people do that. Um, but it doesn't bother me when and I said stew to be PG, um, but it, you know it 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 doesn't bother me if someone just literally comes to a different conclusion. I've got tons of friends who believe all sorts of things, and this podcast has actually helped me develop relationships with even more people that I, I just really disagree with on on maybe quite a few things, but yet we're able to still have fellowship and relationship and learn from one another. Um, be, because of, of, of our mutual love and respect. And that's why I tell people all the time, whether you agree or disagree, that's okay. Just make sure that you're really thinking for yourself. You're not being robotic and that you're doing your homework. You're doing your research. And at the end of the day, if we disagree, as long as we can still love and respect each other and be kind to one another, that's all I care about. Seriously. That, you know, now if your theology is leading you to a belief where you don't, can't respect people that you disagree with or that you don't believe you can be kind, then I'm going to try to convert you because now I think that you're living a dangerous life (laughs) and I'm going to try to show you why that's, that's uh, very harmful and oppressive to other people around you. Um, But once again, it all comes down to making sure that, that we're allowing people not to, to think for themselves. Well, one of the things that I think is really, really helpful for me and it has been helpful for me is whenever I am challenged with a different perspective or a different point of view to consider it, think about it, engage with it, and then either accept it or reject it is to think about it in this term. The old me would have said, well, what they're saying is just dumb that you have Mm -hmm. scriptural authorization to use more than one loaf and one cup on the Lord's table. Well, that's just dumb. That's what I would say. But now, you know, think about it, give a good, honest college try to hearing what someone has to say, understand where they're coming from and try to understand why they believe what they believe. You'll get a whole lot further, but also the, the realization that there have been a lot of dumb things that I've believed in my life. Yeah. There are a lot of things that I held to in positions I had that were dumb. And, and I'm not saying that you know, everything was dumb or whatever else. I mean, you get it. And here it is. There's that old school having to qualify everything again, but you just, you've got to learn how to not take yourself so seriously. Don't take your position so seriously because at the end of the day, your salvation and standing with God is not predicated upon the level of knowledge you have. It's on Jesus and what he did for you at the cross. Your salvation is in God's hands. 
And if you're loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you were loving your neighbor as yourself, and you're manifesting that love through good works, the good works don't save you. That love that you manifest is the fruit that your salvation bears. Learning not to take yourself so seriously is huge and recognize that there are a lot of things. If you have changed your mind on things over time, there are probably a lot of positions and a lot of perspectives that you may have had that probably really weren't all that great. I know that's the case for me. Um, that doesn't mean that you can just be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. If we can borrow a, a scriptural term there, it doesn't mean that you can just believe whatever <laughs> you want to believe, or you can just be arbitrary with it, but think critically, you know, think about these things, think about the veracity behind it. Think about the claims that any particular statement may be making. What's the evidence that supports that claim. And at the end of the day, we need to recognize that all of this in this particular context that we're talking about, it's all faith anyway. And yeah. eventually we just have to make a choice as to what we're going to believe. Yep. And we cannot make anybody else's belief for them. That has to be something that they do themselves. I might have to set boundaries because of somebody's belief. And I, they may have to set boundaries because of their conviction on what I believe. But at the end of the day, People are going to believe what they're going to want to believe anyway. I mean, that, that's why churches who try to control members, it only works for a short period of time until they go somewhere else. And it, it's got to be your own faith. And I know that we have really talked about really a lot of things in this episode, but hopefully I, I, I want this to be an episode where people can go away feeling like they are more apt to think critically. Now, after talking about all this, especially the resources and talking about making sure that you're exposing yourself to all sorts of different information, if you feel overwhelmed and go, wow, Kevin, there's not enough time in the day to do that. Exactly. Humility. <laughs> that's what humility, that's why. The more you expose yourself to ideas, the more you realize there's out there's there's so many ideas out there we will never even be able to 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 expose ourselves to to even half of the ideas out there, just even among Christian circles, much less the whole world. And so that's why we have to remain humble. That's why we have to remain honest. And at the end of the day, say, this is where I currently stand and here's why, but I respect your belief, dot, dot, dot. And there may be some beliefs, once again, that I think are wrong. And there are some beliefs that I think are completely damaging and uh, are are, are, are very harmful. And that's where boundaries and things of that nature need to be drawn. But the bottom line is we have to be humble, man. We, we have to make sure, because Lee, as you pointed out, brother, we've all believed stupid things. There's so many things I look back on that I believe, and I'm like, how in the world? Why in the world? But I don't want that to, I don't want to, I don't want to miss the lesson in that because the lesson is not now I figured it out. The lesson is what all am I wrong on now? <laughs> yeah. Well, and the lesson can also be what did that previous predilection teach me? Yeah. You know, what yeah. are the good things? Because a lot of times, you know, you look back on legalism and I look back on mine and I think about the harm, the potential harm that was done there and the real harm that was done from that mindset, from that perspective. And that I regret. Yeah. But holding those positions, I don't necessarily regret that because. Without that, I probably wouldn't be where I am now. Exactly. So There's a step those in stone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it, it can be difficult, but no, nah, brother, I just, uh, I agree with everything you're saying there, man. Well, good deal, man. Well, I, I think we've pretty much have, have 
covered the the list of different thoughts and points that can help us to think more critically. And I think ultimately critical thinking just involves a level of self-control as well, which is part of that fruit of the spirit we need to be bearing. And when we decide not to think critically, when we're only just going to think sincerely, then we can end up undermining our own credibility with others as well. And as someone who definitely knows the damage that can be caused when we do not think critically, I just encourage you right now to begin developing critical thinking skills, researching critical thinking skills, look into that more. And I I really think that this will be a benefit to not only you, but everyone else around you, your family, your friends. And I think you're just going to have a lot healthier relationships when you become a critical thinker as well. 100%. it, It is a much more healthy and practical way of looking at the world and moving in the world for sure. Well, man, this has been a fun episode. I'm glad we decided to discuss this. I know whenever you first said, Hey man, let's do a, let's have a conversation about sincere thinking and critical thinking. I was like, Oh, okay. But yeah, it ended up being a lot of fun. So I'm glad I trusted you on that one. Um, but anyway, we hope that you guys got as much out of it as Kevin and I have um, gotten out of it discussing this. We love all of you deeply. We are so thankful and so happy that this podcast is doing what it's doing. It's changing the lives that it's helped to change. And guys, we want to reach more people. We want to help more people. This is something that that Kevin and I continue to do, not just because we both are highly gregarious and like to hear ourselves talk, but because we know that there's been a lot of good done for a lot of folks. We've discussed a lot of issues that a lot of folks have, have had, you know, they've taken some consternation with. They've had problems. Some of these topics that we've discussed have been sore spots and sources of pain for a lot of people. And to be able to find a better way forward has been really good for a lot of folks. It's been good for Kevin and I as well. We get stuff out of it too, but but we really appreciate and enjoy being able to help others traverse the same waters that we've gone through. So with that in mind, please share this podcast far and wide, share it with your friends, share it on social media, share it with anybody that you can think of that may even have a passing interest in it. The worst thing they can do is say, those jokers don't know what they're talking about and I'm never going to listen to it again. That's the worst thing that could come of it. But In any case, we love all of you. We appreciate all of you. Give us that five-star review on iTunes. Rate us on whatever platform it is you choose to consume this podcast on. If you have any questions or concerns, reach out to us. We try really hard to get back to everybody. Sometimes some emails can fall through the cracks, but we would love to hear from you. We appreciate all of you, and we bid you all a good night.